0: There is no reward without risk. That is true of investing, but it's also true of gambling. In this episode, I speak with Ambus Hunter about his experience overcoming a gambling addiction and how it affected his mental health and wealth. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to the mental health and wealth show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy. And I know you are ready for these amazing conversations, but before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. Hello, this is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, we are going deep into a topic that doesn't get enough attention, and that is gambling addiction. I'm speaking with Andis Hunter, a Baltimore area accredited financial counselor, federal conflict resolution mediator, jazz drummer, blogger, and a recovered gambling addict. His financial coaching and content helps millennials to reverse engineer their desired life by focusing on aligning values with positive behaviors over time. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, it's great to be here.
0: Super excited to have you here. I know this is a topic that is going to shed light for so many people and hopefully help them through this very difficult issue. So let's just dive right in and I want to know. First, I want to acknowledge that you had a gambling addiction, and I would love to know kind of how it started, how it manifested, how long did it last? Spill the tea.
1: Oh, I'm going to spill it. I'm, I'm going to do my best to uh, paint the most clear picture I possibly can. So I'll take you all the way back to 2011. So spring of 2011, May of 2011, I was 24, two years working into the federal government, in Dayton, Ohio. So Southern Ohio. And my good friend and I, we had the great idea of going to Las Vegas to just go check it out. First time for both of us. So we were like, let's just go to Vegas. And prior to Vegas, I didn't really gamble. Uh, I had played some slots maybe here and there, maybe at three times ever in my life, but you know, hadn't played any table games or anything like that. That really wasn't my thing. But being out in Vegas, seeing others play roulette. And watching my friend play roulette, I'm like, you know what, this seems kind of fun. It Seems easy enough to understand. So like, let me try this out. And that ended up resulting in us playing the whole trip, you know, all over Vegas. And I'm not sure if you've been to Vegas or not, but we we were, you know, we were at the Imperial Palace in Haras in Paris in and Harrah's and Paris and Venetian. You know, Fremont. We're all over the place playing uh, roulette. And in the moment, it felt like, you know, innocent entertainment. We're just out there indulging. Quite frankly, my goal was just to make a little bit of money to just have some fun for each day. We're like, let's just make a little bit of cash. And I ended up really making enough money to cover all of my expenses for the trip. So I think that success, if you will, of that trip pretty much started my fascination with roulette. And you know, so this was May of 2011, and I ended up spending... That spring, that summer, that early fall, traveling to various casinos about three times a month. So, springtime, summer, and fall, this is just what I'm doing. I would go two to three times a month. And at that time, Ohio, where I was living, they didn't have casinos. So, I would drive to the Hollywood casino in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. It was about an hour and a half or something away. And I would also go to casinos on business trips. So which is not the best thing, right? So at the time, the program I was working for the federal government, we had a subcontractor in Philly. So, you know, Philly has a couple of casinos. So I was gambling out there. And I was successful this whole time. You know, I'm I'm I felt in control because I'm only going a few times a month. And it felt just very intentional. Like I'm just going to do this thing for a short period of time. And I mean, I would give myself a time limit, I would basically just say, I'm only going to gamble for maybe 30, 45 minutes, I'm going to just make maybe three to 400 bucks, and then I'm gone, you know, so it felt very much controlled. And I wasn't trying to be greedy, just maybe make enough each month to pay my car, my car note at that time, you know, cover my groceries and have a little bit of fun. And like I said, I would do that. And then I would leave. And just to give you a little bit of roulette background, because I don't know if, if you or, or your listeners play roulette, but, you know, you have colors, you have, uh, you know, you have red and black, you have numbers, of course, is all over the board. And you can bet a variety of different ways. You can bet odds and evens, 1 through 18, 19 through 36. There's a variety of ways you can bet. So at that time, I was just, I was creating different betting strategies, And different ways of betting. And essentially, you know, when I would play, if I was to lose, I would essentially just double my bet. And the idea is if you double your bet based on the payouts, you'll essentially just win back your money and then some. So this was kind of the betting strategy I was deploying over this period of time. And like I said, it was working. So at that time, I'm consistently winning uh, for months. I'm earning or earning, I'm making a good 600 to 1,000 bucks a month in gambling, which, you know, I'm 25. That felt great. Extra money in my pocket. It was a good time. And it's one of those things where I'm enjoying the money. I remember at that time the iPhone 4S had been out. And I remember, yeah, the iPhone 4S. (laughs) Last from the past, right? And the iPad 2. And I remember, um, I walked into Verizon, and I walked into Best Buy, and I just bought both cash. You know, I'm just like, throwing money around. I'm like, because it's just free money. It's extra money to me. And you know, this went on for a while. And things really didn't become a problem as far as the addiction, even though I, I was it was the early stages of the compulsive gambling addiction. But I really didn't process it that way at that time. I was kind of the early stages. And it really didn't become a problem where I even say the addiction really didn't even start kicking up to that next gear until I started losing. And that happened in mid-November. So I had gone pretty much May of 2011 to November, gambling three times a month or whatever, bringing in a good amount of cash each month. And it was that Legendary day, which will always stick out in my brain, of November 19th, 2011. It was a Saturday night. And that's when uh, it all started going downhill.
0: So it sounds like your gambling addiction really started in Las Vegas, which, you know, is kind of jokingly referred to as lost wages. It started out pretty innocently enough. You were just having fun. I think a lot of people. Think that, oh, you know, I'm just going to start and it's just going to have fun. And, you know, as you were saying, you're just kind of throwing around money, feel like you're kind of balling. You have this cash, it feels good. But then things started to change once you started to lose money. I'm so curious about the psychology of gambling because I feel like it gets to this point where you're winning, you're winning, you feel good. It's like another dopamine hit. And then you start losing. And then it's kind of like, no, I need more. I need more, and you want that dopamine hit of winning. Is that kind of what you were experiencing? Do you think that's what kind of led you to more of this addiction rather than just kind of playing around, so to speak?
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely i mean unfortunately it 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 was a lot of fun in the beginning and and you're you're getting you know the happy chemicals and and everything feels great and like you said, you start losing and then it becomes a journey of like almost revenge, you know, like I want to start chasing my losses, which is one of those huge symptoms. And that is really what, you know, continued to to spiral me downward. So, you know, like I said, at that time, I'm two years into working for the government. And um, at that time, salary wise, I want to say I was making around it was somewhere in the 50K ballpark. And I had a couple grand saved you know, before gambling and that's pretty much what i was using to gamble in the first place i was essentially just flipping that into my my gambling habit and since i was making about 800 to 1000 dollars a month you know over that 6 month time i had racked up a decent amount of cash i mean as a 25 year old i had probably made a good 5 6 grand over 5 or 6 months i mean i was a pretty good amount of cash When I started losing a little bit at a time, it it was one of those weird things where it's like, okay, I can still afford to do this because I had made so much money. But I didn't initially understand that that was sending me down the downward spiral because here I am trying to chase what I lost and I'm trying to make up for losing and I'm trying to reverse, you know, Reverse my losses. And that's exactly what casinos want you to do. You know, they want to give you a little bit of money and then hope you give it right back to them and more. Keep
0: you coming back. Keep you coming back. And I love that you mentioned kind of this wanting to have revenge. I'm all about, you know, these emotions and these feelings that kind of dictate our behavior. So I think it's so fascinating that you're like, I want revenge. I want to recoup my losses. And that's really how they hook you back into it. And I can also imagine that you know, when you're making thousands of dollars as a 25 year old, you're like, this is a lucrative side hustle. And you feel like you're doing something great. And you've, you know, hacked the system until you lose it all. And then you're like, oh, now I've lost all of it. So how much did you gamble and lose? And did you kind of go through all of your savings? Or tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, before I started gambling, I had I had a few grand saved. So I, I probably made a good, you know, somewhere in that six K ballpark between spring and early fall. So as I'm starting to lose, it started with that night in November, it started with me losing somewhere around two grand that night. And that is what kind of jump started. The downward spiral because now I'm, I'm gambling every other day. You know, I'm driving the, to the casino every other day after work. I'm working my, my mm. nine to five. Wow. And then I'm going, I'm jumping in my car straight from work and driving to Lawrenceburg, Indiana to go gamble some more. And this went on for weeks, you know, probably a little, a little just under a month. And in just that, in, in that time, I had burned through all the money that I had made. From gambling, burned through Uh, my savings, and in total, it was—I mean, it was over ten thousand. So I lost over ten thousand in about three and a half weeks, which (laughs) just as great as it came, um, it goes so much quicker, right? So, and again, the amount of money—you know, ten thousand dollars—depending on what you have, you know, maybe that's a lot of money, maybe it's not a lot of money. It's it's all—it's all—it's always going to be relative to what you have, and to me that represented all I had. So that was my, that was my savings, my gambling, everything, right? That was my, my cash assets. So when you lose what you have like that, that hits you a a different type of way, whether you have 500 or a thousand or or 50,000, if you lose what you have, whatever that means to you, that's like a different type of thing. And that, that did hit me pretty hard and it was gone just like that.
0: It was gone probably just as quickly as it came. and Quicker. (laughs) Quicker, even faster. I mean, losing $10,000 at 25. I mean, being 25 and even just having $10,000, at least in my mind, feels like a lot of money. So to lose that and to lose that safety net, because $10,000 is a pretty good starter emergency fund or even just a solid emergency fund for almost anybody. And then to just have all of that gone to gambling and in such a short time. I mean, I can imagine how you were feeling. And so was it at this point that you realized, oh, I think I have a problem? Or like, was it the first week that you started going every day after work that you realized you had a problem? Or, or, or what was that point in time where you kind of came to realization that I think I need to do something different now?
1: Yeah, that, that realization, it, it pretty much hit me in phases. To be honest with you, um, I think when I first lost that first night in November, when I lost something like twenty two hundred bucks or something like that, that was that first feeling of, ooh, like, I don't like the way this feels. Because, like I said, I had that initial feeling of like, I'm angry. I'm shocked. Um, I want revenge. I was mad at the casino. I remember I remember looking at looking at the guy behind the table like I'm not supposed to lose. Like, can you give me that money back? Yeah. Or do I get a redo? You know, like I wanted, like yeah. beg for, like another chance. I mean, it was it was an unusual, it was an un, unusual feeling. You know, going through that—that's that, something I hadn't experienced before, and it was new to me, and I didn't really know what to do with it. And it took me a while to kind of fully process where those feelings were coming from. But I think I—I I felt that initially. But I think over the next few weeks of continuing to lose. I started to become more consumed with gambling. This is kind of wild in retrospect, but I was at work creating in Excel, Microsoft Excel, essentially roulette simulations. So, using like the various formulas in Excel, I'm creating these randomized simulations where I can essentially practice playing roulette at work. I'm doing this at work, right? Um, <laughs> uh oh. Definitely, things I can get you fired. Um, and and it's it's like I remember kind of thinking to myself like, okay, Ambus, you've you've drifted into this has gone too far. But again, because I hadn't fully processed it at that time, I was mistakenly thinking I had it under control. But in reality, again, I'm starting to drift downward. So I think that was another one of those slight realizations. And then what really kind of took it to the next level as far as realizing what was going on is as I'm going through that losing streak and really towards the end of that losing streak, you know, throughout that whole time, I had been receiving these random phone calls and I didn't recognize the number. I didn't know who was calling me or why, but I used to just ignore the phone call like we do when we see random warranty or whoever phone calls, scammer phone calls, and I'm ignoring these phone calls. And and something eventually told me to pick up the phone. And I eventually pick up the phone. And I remember being at work. I'll never forget this day. And it was Walmart Discover card. I used to have a Walmart Discover card at that time. And what happened was I didn't pay my credit card bill. And it was Walmart Discover saying, you're late on your credit card payment. And that was one of those moments that kind of snapped me out of it. In some ways, because up until the gambling incident, I have always been someone that was pretty up on his money. You know, I was always pretty responsible paying bills on time as soon as I would get them. You know, I, that was always my thing. So to kind of get this phone call from Walmart, discover, hey, buddy, you haven't paid your credit card bill. It was like, oh, ambit, like wh- you, this isn't me. Right. It was one of those feelings of like, OK this has really gone too far. I'm not even myself. I'm disconnected. I'm feeling disconnected from from life. And it was kind of like I had to have a pep talk with myself. Like, I got to get it together. It's time to make a change. Again, things that you don't fully process at the time, but it was one of those like someone throwing a glass of water in your face. So that was kind of the last realization that I'm like, okay, it's time for me to get it together. So I made a plan you know, I decided to, to stop gambling first and foremost. And, and this took a little bit of time to really stick. You know, I tried a couple of times to stop gambling, but that first time I'm like, okay, I'm going to stop gambling. I'm going to create a plan for myself. And that plan is going to include calculating based on what I make, how long can it take me to recover what I lost? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm just looking at the math based on what I make, based on taking a couple of extra jobs. So, I, I picked up a couple extra jobs. One of them was mystery shopping, which I loved. And the other was I was a brand ambassador for various liquor companies. So, I, would I used do to be that. a brand ambassador too. Oh, yeah. 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 So, you know, be, being in the that was my main clubs, side
0: hustle when I was paying off my debt.
1: There you, there you go. I, I'm passing out free shots in the bars and clubs, and it's, it's great. I'm in liquor stores selling gin on behalf of New Amsterdam, right? So, I'm working. Full time for the government, I would do mystery shopping gigs after work. And I would work in the bars and clubs on behalf of Bacardi and all, you know, absolute whoever on the weekend evenings. So I had extra money coming in. I created a super strict budget for myself where I I pretty much cut out anything I wasn't obligated to pay. So other than paying rent, keeping heat on, uh food on my table, and probably my cell phone. I was not doing anything else. So I cut out every non-discretionary item I possibly could. And I basically just created this plan of, okay, if I do these things, eventually I will make up the money I lost in enough time. And and then some, and over the course, I want to say, let's see, I, I stopped gambling around December of 2011. By October of 2012, I had saved about $20,000. So in about 10, 11 months, I had recovered my mistake and then some. That's
0: amazing. And I love that you kind of went on a bare bones budget and really kind of remedied this situation that you had gotten yourself into. And I think it's so fascinating that you you kind of mentioned these series of events that kind of led you to finally realizing like, I have a problem and I need to fix it. Because I think a lot of people think that like one big thing happens and then they change. But usually it's like a series of events that kind of lead up to this thing where it's like, okay, several things have happened now and I need to make a change. And something that I thought you said that was really interesting was, you know, when you got that call from Walmart and saying like, this is not me. I'm not feeling like myself. And I think that's so interesting because something that we talk a lot about on the show and something that I have experienced personally as well is through addiction, through mental health issues and mental illness, there's constantly this feeling of, I'm not feeling like myself. I know when I'm feeling depressed or I'm doing something that I know my higher self wouldn't do, it's like, I'm not feeling like myself. So I think it's really important for people to kind of recognize that feeling because that's a surefire way to know that things are off. And it's it's a very interesting feeling when you're like, I don't feel like myself. And that's kind of my cue of when I know I'm kind of heading towards a depressive state where you're like, oh, this is not me anymore. And, you know, it's, it's a good kind of warning sign to be like, I need to to reassess.
1: Absolutely. It's one of those things where everyone has a different threshold, I suppose. I mean, I can only speak for myself. Um, I know what it felt like for me. I don't know what that would feel like for others. And even though I had some self-realizations of what was going on, it did take some of these external forces. You know, Walmart. I don't know what would have happened. If Walmart didn't call me, maybe I would have continued to gamble. I, who knows? Who's to say? But it's interesting when you, when you feel something like that. It's almost like a feeling you may never forget. You know, it's like to not feel like yourself. It's such an interesting concept in itself. But like, it's something I don't think I will. I will never forget what that felt like in that moment. To not feel like this is not me. It's almost like I was watching myself, watching a different person from outside of myself and it's a it's a wild thing
0: oh, I'm definitely familiar with that feeling, and I think it's important for people to recognize that because our emotions can tell us things that we might not be able to understand ourselves, so you know if we think of emotions not just as things that we feel but as carriers of knowledge telling us things that are potentially wrong, like I'm not feeling like myself or I'm anxious like instead of just leaning into that feeling and maybe question like why am i feeling anxious why am i feeling depressed why am i not feeling like myself and really trying to um, get back to that point which brings me to my next question of what were the effects of your gambling addiction on your mental health and i'm also curious do you think your mental health affected your gambling
1: it, yeah and, and it kind of hit me in a couple of different ways because while i was losing the money you know my my general wellness just suffered I'm losing sleep, right? Because I'm I'm becoming so consumed with, I've lost a little bit of money at that time. I might've only lost a couple of grand, um, you know, in, in one day. And I'm just thinking like, okay, I got to get this back. I'm, I'm losing sleep. I'm devising all these strategies. My brain is completely consumed. I'm disconnected from work. You know, my performance definitely took a dip. Thankfully, I had um, a decent amount of awareness at that time to not you know, I've always kind of known the line of, you know, working for the government. What would it take to get fired? You know? So it was like, I, I knew I was doing enough to avoid that. I was probably doing enough to not trigger anything to my coworkers or my boss, like something is up with Ambus, but my performance, my level, my expectations for myself and my level of standards of, of my work, it definitely took a dip. I was doing the bare minimum, you know, hundred percent. I was completely disconnected from life. I just felt, out of it. You know, my physical wellness suffered. I mean, I was no longer working out, which which health and wellness has always been a huge area in my life. I'm no longer taking care of myself because all I can think about is this thing. And and really like I said it was a, it was a moment of like I'm mentally I'm mentally checking out of life, but I really didn't know what to do about it. And that's just when I was losing losing the money. Once I lost the money, I mean I it's extreme embarrassment, disappointment, you know, I'm on edge 100%. I'm feeling hopeless at times. I I remember those moments very clearly of feeling completely hopeless. Um not that the, the scenario was that life-changing, but again, when those are like a when that's like a new scenario you're trying to process, like you really don't even know how to process it at that time. I mean, I have the the presence uh I have the the privilege of reflection at this point to to now understand what it was a decade ago but a decade ago I really didn't know what that was that feeling of hopelessness or really what to do about it and you know my brain started drifting into extreme ways to get the money back right so I'm thinking I remember very vividly thinking of like oh okay well wh- what can what can I do what can I do what can I do and should I liquidate my 401k, you know, a little bit. I I might've had in my 401k at that time, two years working for the government. You know, you start thinking of things like that. And I definitely hit what I would consider to be for my life, a bit of a bottom at that particular point. But I didn't really know what I should do or could do until I had that realization of like, Ambus, you can do this create a plan. You can get yourself back to where, where it was. It's just going to take a crap ton of time and it's going to take a lot of effort on your part, but you can get through this if you're willing to stick to it.
0: Totally. And I think, you know, one of the signature kind of symptoms of addiction is this obsession, this feeling like it's taking up all the space in your mind. you know, as you said, you kind of stopped working out, you weren't really doing your job as well. And it's because you're constantly thinking of this. you know, I've had episodes um, around alcohol addiction as well as drug addiction. and that's just a constant theme is this feeling of kind of obsessive thoughts. And there's also this cycle of shame and disappointment. So, you know, you kind of indulge in this addictive behavior, whether it's gambling, drugs, alcohol, it gives you that miniature high, but then, you know, you you either lose or you feel like crap afterwards. And then you hate yourself. Like, why did I do that? And you go into this shame spiral and this disappointment. And then because you feel so bad, you want that high again. So then you go back mm-hmm. to what made you feel high, which is the addiction. And then it just continues this cycle again and again and again, which I think, is why it's so hard for people to break out of this addictive cycle. I know a lot of people who haven't ever dealt with addiction kind of look at it as this issue, like, why don't you just stop? It's easy, you know? And I think people don't understand the psychology of it. And also the the deep shame and disappointment and kind of, like I said, this self-loathing and then you want to kind of get rid of that. And so you go back to the high and then it just creates this cycle that's extremely difficult to get out of. Was there one thing that you did with your mindset to kind of help break that cycle and kind of create new neural pathways in your brain?
1: Yeah, I, I think, and, and of course, I'm now trying to like reflect back on AMBUS from nine years ago, but I think what helped me was to see the plan in front of my face because I'm, I'm a bit of an analytical thinker. And I think once I, I ran the numbers of like, okay, if I, if I stick to these behaviors and you know kind of get into that cognitive behavioral triangle, which I love, and I know you've had a guess on that that, that speaks to that as well. Um, seeing that if I do these behaviors, I could have success, that started forming those new thoughts in my mind. That I didn't previously had, and and but the previous thoughts were I need to either do something extreme to get back to where I was and, and continue to to indulge in that, like you were talking about, continue to indulge in those behaviors to chase that that feeling I, I once had. Um, once I started seeing other options of behaviors, and and not even just behaviors of recouping the money, but behaviors of ways. I, you know, hobbies or or things that make me happy or or give me joy because gambling was doing that. You know, it was triggering the the happy chemicals and I was enjoying the adrenaline and, and stuff like that. So once I started giving myself new options of instead of doing this thing that gives you adrenaline, you have to think of some new hobbies. And also on the financial side, if you indulge in these behaviors, you can actually reverse the mistake that you made, which started getting me on a new thought process, which pretty much you know, end up changing my life or end up changing the whole way I ended up just looking at the entire situation.
0: I love that so much. And I think that's so fascinating. Like when dealing with addiction, it's really important to have replacement behaviors because it's not just like you stop drinking, you stop doing drugs, you stop gambling, and then that's it. Like you need something positive to fill that place so that when you're feeling that craving, when you feel like you want to do that, that you're going to do X, Y, Z instead. And that's how you build those new neural pathways. And it's a practice, you know, it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that you kind of build a muscle over time. And I think that's really important for people to understand because I think that's also something that hurts a lot of people is that they think that they just need to stop and then you know, that's it. And then if they go back, then they have deeper shame. And then it's all over again, where it's like, okay, if you go back, let's not sit in that shame and self-hatred, but like maybe you go longer and longer without doing that. And, you know, then by the third or fourth time, there's an even longer amount of time where you're like, oh, this doesn't have the same power over me anymore. And I think it's important for people to realize that it's going to be a practice. It's going to take time, you know, building new neural pathways in your brain and new behaviors. It's like a muscle. It takes time to build. And kind of, as you mentioned, it really can bring you new results. And I think what you mentioned that I love is having these results that, you know, you can get and then reverse engineering your behaviors to be like, I want that result. And I know I need to behave differently to get that result. And I think that's so, um, impactful,
1: Absolutely. And and you know, because I, I mentioned, it, like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. And for me, it definitely did I mean, I had a couple of slip ups, you know, even after I created the plan of like, Ambas, this is what you need to do. And this is likely going to work. There definitely was a couple more trips to the casino where I was just testing it. Like you said, the time in between, though, became longer and longer and longer. So at first, I after creating the plan, I still probably went to the casino, if I'm thinking back, one or two times to so just, just to see, just to see if my luck had changed. And then it had been months. So I went like three months well into 2020, I'm oh, not 2020, 2012 of not gambling. And it wasn't until I was in another city for work down in Louisiana that has a bunch of casinos in, in the Shreveport, Bossier city area. They got like five casinos in that, you know, five mile radius or something like that. It wasn't until I was down there months later that I tried it again. And I started losing again and I was able to walk away. Now I still walked away a loser, but I was able to walk away way earlier before I lost a couple more thousands of dollars. I, you know, I, I lost a couple hundred and I'm like, Amba's up, oh, you're going in the wrong direction. Right? So you did this before you did this months ago, recognize what's going on. Don't let this get, don't let this put you in another hole and, and walk away. So to your point, doing that is what started reinforcing that new way of thinking and, and help put me back on the right track, even though I slipped off a little bit.
0: Totally. And I think that's part of the process and something that really needs to be added to the conversation more when recovering from addiction, because currently, you know, let's just look at the framework of alcohol and drug addiction. It's like, if you have drugs or you slip up once, it's like, you're no longer sober you're over and it just leads to this complete shame where it's like black and white you're either sober or you're not and it's like can't we celebrate the fact that maybe you went 30 days without drinking and then you had one drink or you know can't we celebrate that maybe you had a beer instead of like a whole bottle of vodka like i think there's more space for nuance when overcoming addiction, because it's not just something you can turn on and off, but the way we talk about it, it definitely feels that way, but it's something that happens over time. And that, you know, I think we should be celebrating the progress in between. And when we do quote relapse, not necessarily have all of that shame, but be like, okay, yes, I messed up, but I didn't have a drink for 30 days, or I didn't gamble for three months. And I should be celebrating that too. And then, you know, that's kind of what can help you build your muscle going forward. Absolutely. So we kind of mentioned earlier um, privately on our conversation that, you know, gambling is nearly untouched in personal finance, which I think is so fascinating. Why do you think that is? And why do you think gambling in particular is taboo?
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I find in the personal finance space, debt is more of the hot struggle, right? That's the hot topic, especially student loans. And that makes sense. But, you know, it's interesting because when I think of student loans, the idea of student loans is, is inherently positive, right? The idea is that you get these loans and, and that you, you get this education, you make hopefully more than what it costs you to get said education. And so the whole idea of it is, is actually supposed to be productive. And a lot of people can relate to that story. Um and that makes sense to me. But the whole, the whole I, I just threw a bunch of money away on gambling, like I did that. Like that story is a bit more rare and it's less common. Maybe, maybe less people can relate to that. Or maybe it's just that less people feel comfortable talking about it. Because I, I remember the time of in the time of individuals with debt and especially student loans, there there was way more Shame around that particular subject than what it is now, and a lot of people are still dealing with that. But I think you know your podcast and other people's podcasts are helping to put that out there. That hey, it's not not just you. A lot of us are in that same type of situation. We can we can talk about this in an, in an open way and help each other get through this. Um, I think gambling is is in that earlier part of the curve where it's harder to talk about. For a lot of indivi- you know, a lot of people, including myself, you know, interestingly enough, although this happened in 2011, when I started putting myself out there as a financial coach and blogging and stuff like that, I had my own feelings of of discomfort in talking about it. I wasn't going to talk about it. I was going to kind of like leave it out of my about me and stuff like that. I was just going to act like this didn't even happen. And I think now we're thinking back, that's kind of interesting because it pretty much helped make me who I am and why I think the way I do about money and, and my whole philosophy is kind of surrounding this situation. But I had my own feelings of still, you know, years later of disappointment and shame and embarrassment regarding, I didn't really want to talk about it. And it wasn't until, you know, two people in particular kind of encouraged me to do so one of them, Amanda Abea and the other is Dr. Michelle Rosen. Both of them, in talking with them, they're like, dude, this is your story. And it's a story that you don't hear often. You should put it out there because perhaps I could help somebody in a positive way. So that's, that's what personally helped me to do it. But I can also recognize the negative feelings I had around it and thinking it made me look mentally weak you know like how how did i let myself do this and that was something i had to get over and i also think just in society gambling is such an acceptable form of entertainment and and it's an it's it's like an acceptable addiction to have you know um Casinos are popping up all over the place, especially where I live in Maryland. You know, we got a bunch of casinos. It's in the brochures of like, you know, come come to Baltimore. I'm in Baltimore County. Come to Baltimore, we got this Horseshoe Casino. It's viewed as like it's a it's a it's a revenue builder, right? It brings jobs and that's how it's typically framed as a positive thing even though when you go inside the casino, there is typically, you know, a whole bunch of people who are probably individually struggling with an addiction. And especially in my days of going to casinos, I have ran across so many individuals who were silently struggling. One gentleman comes to mind particular in Philly. I'll never forget this gentleman. We're both on the roulette table and he was telling me about how he came straight from work with his paycheck. You know, he, he was coming every time he got paid. And in between he got paid. He's coming with his paycheck in hand. Now he had a family at home. He had a house, but he he's out of control. And he recognized it. But it's like one of those things, like no one really wants to talk about it. And he, you know, he felt comfortable talking to me about it. But it's it's just socially acceptable to go to the casino to gamble. And because we don't really talk about the negative side of it, it just kind of like stays. In the shadows, but you know, even beyond like traditional casino gambling, you got lotteries. How many people are addicted to playing the lottery? I've, you know, people in my family who have been playing the lottery for years and and addicted to it multiple times a week, multiple times a day. Scratch offs. I've ran into countless individuals who have a scratch off addiction, and uh, again, it's acceptable to do that. It's not viewed as a problem until it really becomes a problem on the individual level. That's just my idea.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I wanna thank you so much for sharing your story here because I think it really is brave and wonderful and will help so many people because it is something that we don't really talk about. And when you're dealing with an addiction that feels like it will consume you and eat you whole, you feel so alone. You feel like this is all my fault. You feel so much disappointment and shame. But when you hear that other people- have been there, have gone through it, have gone to the other side. It can be so inspiring. So just wanted to say thank you for that. And I think part of the taboo is like kind of this moral judgment about gambling. You know, like, as you mentioned, there is very much an acceptable portion, you know, the lottery, just having fun in Las Vegas, like that's totally fine. But then, yeah, when you start blowing your whole paycheck, when you start asking your kids for money when you start taking out loans to gamble with. I mean, that becomes a problem, but in society, I think a lot of people have this kind of moral judgment of like, Oh, I can't believe you would do that. Or we just feel like, Oh, that's your problem. Like you need to figure it out. We don't really kind of look at it in a systemic way of like, what are the bigger issues that are really causing this? And how can we support people who are going through this? And you know, we all have our own issues. Someone might be a gambling addict, someone might be an alcoholic, someone might have bipolar, you know, we all have our own issues. It just, it seems that some things happen to be more stigmatized than others. And I feel like gambling can definitely be one of those things that carries a lot of shame for people where they wouldn't want to come forward because it feels like a moral judgment, a personal failing, and a huge financial loss which you know as we know in the personal finance world so many people tie their worth with their income with their net worth and you know when you've lost so much money i can imagine that affects your self esteem and your feelings of worthiness as well
1: yeah absolutely and and interestingly enough when i shared this story on you know the bigger pockets podcast which by the way i didn't necessarily expect to go into such detail in the way I did. And what ended up happening was when that particular episode was released, I had dozens of people reaching out to me, strangers, about their gambling addictions. Uh, Matter of fact, someone who I've known for 15 years since college reached out to me that she has a gambling addiction. I never, you know, you would never know. You would never know any of these individuals had an issue. And it was one of those moments like, oh my gosh, you just have so many people struggling in silence for whatever reason. I'm sure everybody has their various reasons, but you know, between the casinos, the lottery, scratch off, sports betting, that's that's a, a, a huge way. A lot of people struggle with gambling addiction. It's just one of those things where we don't really want to talk about it. We don't really want to get into the nitty gritty of why this is happening, like you said, but what an, un, like you said, an untapped subject that I hope becomes more of a Socially acceptable way to really talk about what's going on beneath the surface.
0: Yes. And that's what we want to do on the Mental Health and Wealth Show is really break down the stigma with so much of these mental health issues and financial health issues as well, because it's so important to shed light and to destigmatize these things. I know when you were talking about, you got all of these messages and you were like, oh my gosh, people just came out of the woodwork. Like, I had a similar feeling when I. First started writing my blog Dear Debt in 2013. I wrote it because I felt so anxious and depressed about my debt, and I felt like no one was addressing the mental health and emotional toll that debt was taking. And so I started writing very openly and you know, vulnerable on my blog. And then so many people commented and emailed me privately about, I feel the same way, I'm so anxious, I'm so depressed, you know, to the point where people. We're telling me they were suicidal because of their debt. And you know, that's a whole different issue, which also kind of helped me spur onto this podcast because I realized this is such a bigger issue than we give it credit for. And, you know, it's just so fascinating that we all think that we're dealing with these things alone. And then once we have the courage and the bravery to step forward and to say, this is what I'm going through. So many people are just, oh my gosh, I feel the same way. And I think. You know, obviously it's sad that so many people are going through that, but then it also makes you feel less alone and it kind of breaks down the shame, breaks down the stigma, and we can move forward to try to recover, to try to have healing, to try to normalize these conversations without so much fear.
1: Absolutely. Well said.
0: So I'm curious, how did gambling affect your money mindset?
1: Yeah. You know, it's one of the, it's funny because I've come to peace. With this whole scenario, and I really feel I truly feel it's one of the best things that have ever happened to me, and you know positive reframing is something that i'm i'm somewhat I'm somewhat in love with you know situations happen to us in life, we go through things, ups downs, wins, losses, and I really feel like if we can learn to reframe positively reframe and extract the lesson, that is when we can truly grow you know so that 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 is kind of Blood, and so even while i'm why I'm here, and some blog posts that I've written about gambling and kind of the things that I feel I took from gambling and how it strengthened my money mindset, and I really feel like, number one, it really enforced my my discipline and my consistency and my belief that positive behaviors over time really do yield tremendous results. And I inherently believed that before gambling, Um, you know, as I mentioned, I've always been into health and wellness. I used to work as a fitness trainer. I've always believed these things in other contexts, but once it kind of had to manifest itself in a different in a different area of my life, I was like, okay, it wasn't just a fluke. I, I don't, I just don't believe that. And when it comes to working out or eating right, it really does apply to the most of life. You know, so it reinforced that for me. Taking accountability, you know, I had to take accountability for my financial decision. Uh, no one did that to me, right? It was me. It was me walking in the casino and and me putting up those thousands of dollars and whatnot. And it really, it, it, it was freeing for me to tell myself I did this. And once I did that, I felt empowered that I can get myself out of it. Because if I tell myself it was me who dug this hole, it feels just as easy for me to say, if I got myself into it, I can get myself out of it. And I believe that my risk tolerance has been strengthened, which is interesting because I kind of feel like going through that with the gambling and overcoming that challenge, I can overcome anything. I mean, I truly feel that way. I truly feel like if I give myself a plan, I can get myself out of any struggle that I'm dealing with. And that has informed kind of the way I deal with my money, and specifically the way I invest, so some people may interpret something like losing your money to gambling and that it should make you more risk adverse You know some people, when I tell people my situation, they're like, "Oh my gosh, I would never I would never gamble again, and I, I don't, but they would also tell themselves that that make them more conservative maybe with their investment strategy because they're afraid of losing the money. I actually have gone through the opposite where i'm like I think it has actually made me more tolerant to risk because I know what it feels like to lose and build it back. And it, it, it's kind of like that scenario kind of taught me money is just money, right? And, and and we attach emotions to money, but at the same time, you lose it, you can grow it. So in some ways that has strengthened My investment strategy, which is which is kind of interesting. I I think I value money in a different way. I think when I was going through my gambling, I didn't truly value the money that I had earned up into that point. And I, I was getting reckless, right? I was getting way too irresponsible. So from that, I started truly valuing and appreciating the money I make and not drifting into being reckless, right? I think I became more intentional. With my money, and you know, I budget every single month. I'm very intentional with the money I have going out, uh, and I still have a good time. I love to travel. That's one of my values. So I love traveling the world, but I'm intentional about it. So I'm every month. I'm just not spending money on, on whatever. Every month, I tell myself where my money is going to go. I know what's coming in, and I know what's going out. So it's made me more intentional. I think the gambling scenario has made me realize that I can cut my expenses whenever i want right going through that that gambling situation and being able to just flat out cut your expenses that what you don't need going through that kind of exercise i'm like oh, okay if i ever wanna leave my job i know that i can just like put myself on the strictest of budgets just like that and this is going to work so i feel in in some ways very in control of my money because of that scenario so i just think all of those things have kind of informed the way i interact with money and overcoming that challenge is definitely it, it definitely gives you new hope that you can really accomplish anything
0: I think you learned so many beautiful lessons with this. And I think from what I'm hearing, it really started with this acceptance. You know, I often talk about um, kind of when you're paying off debt, you go through the five stages of grief, the first being denial. I think that can be similar to dealing with addiction overcoming as well. Like there's a lot of denial at, at first. and, You get to this stage of acceptance. And once you've accepted, like, okay, I got myself into this situation, this is what I've done, then you can start to heal and move forward. And it sounds like you have done that. And I love your commentary on how it's affected your risk tolerance. I think that's super interesting. And then, yeah, having this new appreciation for money because you think of gambling as, quote, kind of throwing away money. But then when you kind of get over that and then you have this new appreciation of money, you want to care for it. You want to love it. You want to treat it well and so that it can treat you well. And so I love all of that. I love it. So I wanted to end the show and get your advice to someone who is struggling with gambling addiction right now. What advice would you give to them? What next step should they take?
1: Yeah, and, and and I wanna acknowledge that you know, I'm not a specialist when it comes to to gambling addiction and there and there are people that truly do study this for a living and help individuals get through this. And I, I wanna give a shout out to those individuals and I'm learning. I'm learning more about maybe some of the things I did. Was that even the best approach? You know, it's it's an interesting topic in itself. Um, so I guess I I'll share a couple of things that a couple of things that I did, and a couple of things that I I didn't do that maybe I should have. And the first bucket, you know, as far as the, the mindset is is concerned, we talked about this a bit, but that acknowledgement I think is so important because we talked about when I had those moments of realizing what was going on. That is, like you said, that's what helped me to move forward. So being able to acknowledge. I got something going on. Maybe I don't fully understand what's going on, but being able to say that to yourself and believe that was truly the the first step. And and owning that problem and and trying to separate, is hard, but trying to separate the feelings of disappointment and shame and just look at it like, okay, I'm going through something. This is just what I'm going through right now. This doesn't have to be my identity. I'm just going through something. And, and I felt that was very freeing. Um, I think confiding in a in a in a friend can be very helpful. One thing I I would have done differently is I told my best friend what was going on. The same guy I went with the Vegas. He, he kind of knew what was going on, but he was the only person in the world for years who knew that I even went through this. I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell any other friends. No one knew what I was going through except him on a very small level. So I think I think it would have been better to confide a a little bit more of what was going on because I think having a friend in your corner to kind of help, help you generate new thoughts and generate new ideas. Like, Hey, I kind of want to gamble. I think at that point, A friend can kind of step in and help you to generate. Well, instead of gambling, have you considered this? Don't go drive to the casino, let's go bowling, or let's go, let's go do this, or let's go do that. You just try and think of new ways to channel that energy. That's something I probably should have done. And I would definitely urge people to do that. I think trying to get down to the roots of your motivations for gambling and kind of what's beneath the surface. You know, I think some people. Are stressed. Some people uh, are, are lonely. Some people want to feel the rush. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to get at. I think when you understand why am I doing this thing, that can really help you to generate other options as well, and start trying to reverse engineer and get down to the root and keep peeling back those layers of the onion of why am I even doing this thing? You know, so that can be very helpful. And that's just all mindset stuff. I think on the behavior side. I think you know trying to replace with a new hobby that can be very beneficial for people. Um I didn't do this, but it, it could have been beneficial to you know remove the credit card to remove remove the access to the money. I probably should have hid my or you know had someone take my debit card or something like that, so I, I stopped going to the bank to take cash out. You know some of that behavioral changes would have been great. And something I've heard of people doing, I honestly don't know how effective it is, but you can ask the casino to not let you in. I mean, you can, you can self-identify as don't let me come here. You know, I'm putting myself on a ban list, so oh, to speak. Oh, wow. That's
0: so interesting.
1: Yeah. And I think that can be very effective. Now, unfortunately, um, I've been to casinos where at the entrance, you know, cause they're supposed to be checking IDs. And I think in theory, if they have your name on a list that you shouldn't be in here, they could do something. But I've seen, I've seen security kind of like looking at people and kind of like assuming that they're of age to be there. So they kind of just let them do without even checking their ID. So in that scenario, if you're on the ban list, but they're not even checking your ID, that's not all that helpful. But you know, those are maybe some things that could help somebody. I only did half of them, but they could have been very, very valuable for others.
0: I think those tips are so great. Thank you so much for sharing. I think this interview has been so wonderful. I think it's going to help so many people. So tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now and where people can find you.
1: Yeah. So I am a financial counselor. I support the uh, AFCPE and I do some nonprofit work as well in Baltimore County, but I also do uh, personal financial counseling and blogging and speaking and some other things. So a lot of my info is on my website, ambushunter.com, where I do uh, do my best to blog. I'm not the most consistent blogger, but um, you know I have some information out there and hopefully some other resources that can help people with their financial situation. And I'm out there on social media, Twitter. I'm always Twittering and putting my thoughts out into the world. So I'm at Twitter at ambusvhunter. I'm on Instagram at Ambushunter. Hunter and that is that's pretty much where I live in the social media space.
0: Wonderful, definitely check him out if you need help. Check his social media for wonderful updates. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free Mental Health and Money Inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a Mental Health and Wealth Hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.